Welcome to Retro Fanfic Retrospective, the podcast where we dredge up old fanfiction and expose it to the cold, harsh light of 2019. My name is Amato, and with me are... Tori. <laughs> I'm sorry, a really bad background popped up on my uh, <laughs> on my laptop as I was looking. Describe really? it for the listeners. You weren't just laughing at my name. Uh, anybody seen Full Metal Alchemist? No. Uh, she and her dog are best uh, friends. Yes. They're practically inseparable. That's the episode I stopped watching on, even though it's like the third episode. Yeah, it's terrible. But it's I just couldn't. <laughs> it was too bad. I was like, this is, you know, this is traumatic. Yeah. I'm done. Purposefully traumatic. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that was the other part. Is it was like, yeah, I've been through enough trauma in my life. I don't need to go through this with yeah, that, children and dogs. And that's this, fair. Sometimes like there's some fiction that that I know is good and I enjoy, but it's like traumatic enough where it's like I don't I don't need it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm good. Like if it's something that's traumatic in a way that I can like relate to to help process my trauma in a certain way, like y- you know maybe not re-traumatizing, but, like, a, a respectful processing. If it's, like, deliberately traumatizing for no apparent reason, I'm just, like, nah, shock value kind of thing. Don't like. Yeah, they, have, they had a whole horrors of war angle that that was enough tr- shock and trauma for them to go for. I don't know why they went for the dog-slash-child killing. <laughs> yeah, it was quite a bit. It was just a little over the top. It's a bit much, yeah. Hmm. I'm Dom. <laughs> <laughs> There we go. Uh, yeah, haven't seen Full Metal Alchemist, never read it. It's just one of those weird blind spots. You can watch the new series, I think. That's what they say. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, we're doing a podcast. But uh, I had a lead-in prepared, you know. Oh, okay, go for it. Yeah, I was going to ask what you've been dreaming about lately. It's all flown out of my head after oh. discussing this, <laughs> this Full Metal Alchemist stuff. I dreamed I was on a boat in a reservoir behind a dam but the the lake was draining is that true that's one of the dreams i had i my bad dreams tend to be like water-based well i dreamed at one point in the last week of ursa yatsura kind of (laughs) (laughs) in the middle of something else that was going on in my dream there was a what do you call an english gachapon machine a like um gachapon yeah is that what it's still called like you know little toys in like Plastic containers claw and you put machine. money in. Uh, no, you, no, not a no. claw machine. UFO uh, catchers, I think. But no, that's no, not that's the a same claw thing. machine. But I, I think the term gachapon has integrated itself into the vocabulary okay. now. So like little toys in a plastic ball oh. dispensing machine. Right. I would have always called that a little plastic toys in a plastic ball dispensing machine. Catchy. Okay. <laughs> and they were little plastic Ursa Yatsura character figures. But I was like peering at them and I was like, oh, these are totally like off brand, like, you know, cheap knockoffs. Of some kind. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's the only thing in my dream that's related to Ursa Yatsura. I, I have really vivid dreams, especially in the morning. As I habitually wake up kind of as the sun comes up, but I don't have to be up for like another hour or so after. Mm. I have the most vivid dreams. And for a while I kept a dream journal, but mm, nope, they're just not coming back to me. I know they involve a lot of purpose and a lot of... Um, I'm usually traveling to some, like, place that in my dream I've been to before. Like, it'll be Paris, France, or it'll be where I lived as a child in California, except it won't look the same at all. Um, I have pretty vivid images of, like, living on this house. Like, the house I lived in California was pretty bland, but in this it was, like, this 
incredible large house on the side of a cliff and it led down to this like very northeastern sort of like dry grass in the summer with this huge river flowing through and all of these deciduous trees growing over i just dream of beautiful landscapes that apparently i remember and and aren't actually real and they always seem like the place i want to be most in the entire world and then i wake up and it's very hard to get out of bed i had a dream i'm going to try to turn into a story at some point Oh, yeah? Yeah. That should be interesting. You know, that raises a question. Mm-hmm. Like, I used to keep a dream journal in high school. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I had anime or other, like, series-related dreams. I remember in high school, every so often, you'd uh, have an interesting enough dream to tell one of us. Yeah. It, those always seemed more um, more cohesive story-based than most dreams usually are. Some of them were pretty plotted, yeah. <laughs> I remember one time you... I re- <laughs> You told it. You told us of a dream you had about like uh, we were trying to do a changeling the dreaming game one time, mm-hmm. and we made characters, but we never made the game. And you imagined us as our uh, as our uh, changeling the as our changeling characters. I don't remember that one. I remember it because you remembered me as a girl in that one. Okay. <laughs> and you very pointedly told me, but I did not try to hit on you. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that was very endearing. I was so considerate. <laughs> wow, because uh, well, all of your other friends, it, it, if they're girls, you would immediately hit on them. Yeah, it, it, it was high school, so I didn't hit on anyone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just really funny. <laughs> well, speaking of high school and dreams, our fanfic for today was just a dream? Question mark? Yes. No, maybe. Uh, come back to me. Yeah. Well, it wasn't just a dream. It was <laughs> rather lengthy and real. I feel, yeah, they, they kind of answered their own question pretty immediately. Yeah. That it wasn't just a dream. The answer is no. Not <laughs> just I, a dream. I mean, I feel like it would have been better if it was, like, maybe this is a dream within a dream, or maybe the dream is the reality, and the reality is the dream, and... Well... And, about well, uh, yeah, the premise is weird because I don't know much about your essay, Yatsura, mm-hmm. but I know that the dreams in this are references to episodes and movies. Yes, the actual plot of your essay, Yatsura. Yes. Right. Okay. And the weirdest thing is they refer to very specific episodes and movies. They never once refer to Beautiful Dreamer, <laughs> which is very odd. That's a big. There's a big miss there. Right? Yeah. And I think it must have been that that movie was not available because it was distributed by Toho and licensed separately from the other ones. And so maybe when the author was writing this or plotting it, they hadn't seen that one. All the other ones had been distributed differently from some different, like, um, company back in the day. Because this is really early anime fanfic, guys. At least anime fanfic that was on the internet. This story was written by Lewis Burden, originally (laughs) first uploaded to Genie. What's Genie? No idea. That's not even a, a like Usenet group, right? That's what you use to get cheat codes in your video games. Uh, yeah, I did have a game Genie. <laughs> Robin Williams mm-hmm. okay. is the Genie in Aladdin. I'm glad we know our internet history very well. <laughs> Here, quick quick Google search. Okay. Genie, dip, 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 disambiguation, Disney, technology. <sighs> Some good writing. I don't know. <laughs> Computer research project at Berkeley? No? <laughs> I don't think you're going to find what you're looking for. Okay. Well, the point is, uh, the first anime fanfic that was uploaded to the internet was 1991. Hmm. And this one's 1992. Wow. The internet existed in 92? By the internet, I mean 
like a Usenet group. Yeah, yeah. And it might have been earlier. Just, just the forward is 92. I couldn't actually find when it was like originally wow. published. So it could have been mean, earlier. Who had access to internet like in their homes at that point? Uh, nerds. Military people? <laughs> yeah, like, well, not just nerds. Like, you had to work to have... I mean, admittedly, I was three years old in 1992, so maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. But, well, I mean, my dad was always a computer guy. We didn't get the internet until 99, maybe 98. Well, we don't know that this person had access to the internet from home. This is true as well. Probably a college uh, student or something, right? right? Yeah. Well, but a college student in 92... Maybe. Mate. We need to find <laughs> someone older too. than us. Anyway, the point is it's pretty old. And when I say, you know, early anime fanfic online, um, that that first ones that I'm talking about were script format. They were not like novel length works of literature put online. And this is novella length. Well, it's... No, it's, it's a long novel. novel. Yeah, because yeah. it has parts. Also, it's like 115,000 words, so... My e-reader tells me it's 339 pages. Yeah, that's a novel. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. And the other thing, I read this a long, long time ago. The other thing about this fanfic that's exceptional is that it's Ursa Yatsura. People, I mean, people did write a lot of Ursa Yatsura fanfiction back in the day, a lot, I say in quotes, um, you know, in like fanzines and stuff. But they didn't usually try to make like a serious, you know, serious-ish space opera out of it. And that's what this person did. Mm-hmm. Before Quite. we dump into it... I meant to say jump into it, but I know you two don't like it too much. There might have been some kind of, like, uh, what do you call it? Freudian slip there? <laughs> no, I, I, I was trying to, like, uh, get my, my pre-dumping out so that we mm. could only have a positive review. I promise to say nothing negative about this fan fiction. You don't have to promise that. We say negative things about fanfics all the time. That was a joke. Okay. <laughs> that was a, a dream. Anyway... Before we jump into it, experience with Ursa Yatsura. Tori, have you seen or read any? None. We I haven't. Mean, you haven't seen Beautiful Dreamer? No. Um, like, obviously I'm familiar with, you know, Rumiko Takahashi. I'm familiar with the characters from, you know, fandom on the internet when I was like 12 through 15. Mm-hmm. It was just one of those things I never had access to, you know, at that time. And by the time things came online, it was something I'd long forgotten about and probably didn't care about kind of thing. So I really only have impressions. Mm-hmm. Never seen it, never read it. I am moderately certain that the very first anime I ever saw was Beautiful Dreamer mm. that my dad rented from blockbuster or whatever and we watched when i was pretty young and i was like this is freaking weird and then later in life when i like understood what anime was i was like what was that movie that i saw (laughs) way back then but i remembered like the blasted landscape and the tank and like it was enough to just like track it out oh it was the second ursa yatsura movie beautiful dreamer and then i rewatched it and at least 60 percent of any fondness my fondness for ursa yatsura comes from beautiful dreamer specifically and not anything else. So Joel just randomly checked this movie out with no idea I think what so. it was. Yeah. That's it's my recollection. <laughs> I feel like my family is a little bit different and you know, I think my parents are a little bit older than yours, but like my dad had like heavy metal on VHS mm-hmm. and like Fritz the Cat and I think you know he was into this animation that you know would be a little bit too much for kids, right? But anime was this whole new thing that he really didn't get. We watched it, it was mostly the kids' anime. So I think 
my parents accidentally sometimes let me see things that were totally inappropriate because they thought anime was all for kids. And, uh, but I also think that Lum's figure, like, in a bikini would have been something that would maybe my flag. folks would have been like, oh, this is, like, an adult animation. Because that was their experience. It's like, whether a kid's animation or adult animation. Not, you know, animation that is... Teenage? Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. not just that, but, like, just animation that's, like, mature but not lewd. Yeah. Oh, and I guess for my story, later on I went and read all the manga. <laughs> all the manga? Yeah, online. Mm. It's pretty good. I mean, I know some people prefer it over something like Ranma. I think I still prefer Ranma. But it's usually pretty entertaining. Oh, me? Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, I'm very familiar with uh, Ranma, as I believe I mentioned on a couple previous episodes. But that's all the Rumiko Takahashi I've really experienced. After Ranma, I tried, I tried to be into Inuyasha, but I couldn't last more than a volume before that just kind of petered out because it sucks. <laughs> Maison Ikoku? Uh, the problem with trying to come back to some of Rumiko Takahashi's works now is that like, I still try to read some stuff in Japanese every so often, but it's usually um, easy read stuff that I don't care too much about. Mm-hmm. But if it's um, if the audience is like late middle school or older then the language is going to be a little bit more difficult for me to understand. So I'd like to read it in English. And the problem is stuff like Urusei Yatsura and Meisan Koku is that it was one of the first stuff translated and brought over, which means it's only available in English in mirrored format. That's true. I think they're just now going to be re-releasing Urusei Yatsura. And I can... I have on several, several different times tried to read mirrored manga and it... it I don't mean to sound elitist, but it just, I can't do it. It provokes like a visceral reaction. I I get dizzy. That's okay. Lean into it, Dom. No, there's, there's actually a good reason for that is that, you know, visually as a cartoonist, (laughs) when you set up your panels, you're setting them up to be read a certain way, a way that makes sense to the human brain. Right. So if you flip everything over, it's going to seem a little unbalanced. Um, you know, even in a culture where you're reading left, right versus right to left, the balance is going to seem off. Like, it's just a thing. I think dizziness is a good way to explain it. And Rumiko Takahashi, I think I talked about with the Ranma manga before, is really good panel layout, really um, intuitive and really smart. And that backwards just doesn't work. Mm. Yeah, and also just the images backwards because there's a way... You know, I don't know if you all have ever tried to, like, draw a face in like a three-quarter view and then trace it from the other side of the paper and have it seem totally off on the other side. (laughs) Can't say I have. Okay, well, even try this with, you know, cartoons you like. Try to flip the image and see if it it reads. Now, ideally, I don't want to say ideally, but, you know, it'd be nice if it did, but oftentimes what reads in cartooning, because it's so simplified, will read one direction and not another, just because of the simplification element. And also shirts with English words on it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Those don't read backwards either. So my experience is just seeing Beautiful Dreamer. Yeah, fair enough. It's probably about enough. You, you must have read the first volume of the manga because I got it that one time when we were in high school and 
you tore the first page out, like, wrestling immediately the same day that I had bought it or something. Yeah, that was too traumatic, so I can't even remember anything about the manga. I just remember <laughs> the, the, the incident and Papa Amato getting angry. <laughs> that first volume introduces most of these characters, but whatever. Uh, we may as well jump into it. It's really, really long, so we're going to be giving a relatively high-level overview of the plot, I think, and then jumping into some stuff. Mm. So Ataru Moroboshi is a Japanese high school student. Lum is a alien conqueror. Together they fight crime. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is that is that detailed enough, do we think? Yeah, I think that's the plot. Yeah. Uh, it's not quite the it, plot. Is the crime in this the other houses? or <laughs> Slavery is a moral crime. Yeah. So actually, like before we fully jump into this, do you all want to like, maybe run down... Say Yatsura, like the flavor of it for me. It, does okay. it have this? This this fanfic, I will say right off the bat, has a, like a lot of um, political intrigue, yeah. military drama, and like the difference between this intense alien culture putting pressure on Lum to be their space empress and you know uh, the high school students on Earth who almost immediately get assimilated into that culture. So it's really about. Lum's culture and the the very dramatic high stakes politics of her culture is in, that the flavor of the original or is it more comedic? In no way whatsoever is any of that in the original in the slightest. Okay, I kind of got the impression. Yeah, I mean, the impression I got was that it was more slapstick than Ranma. Oh yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. So, okay, so this is vastly different. The, 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 different. Absolutely. So the only thing is at the very beginning of the series, first episode, first manga chapter. Aliens invade, Lum sent down to Earth, they get to play a game of tag against, you know, a human to determine the fate of the world, and it's all a joke because they look like Oni, the aliens, and Oni Goko oh. is the word for playing tag as, you know, like the, the game of the Oni, right? Yeah. And her father seems to be important, but it's not like, and his name is Invader in the manga, but oh. it's really not gotten into. Wow, so in... In the the source, it's really really comedy, and oh, yeah. Lum's home planet never really explored. Never visited. You meet a wow. few other. You meet a few other oh, so this members is of her species. Very it's different. One, it's completely different. That's what's so exceptional, like yeah. notable about it. Yeah, I mean, that's incredible. Actually, is very uh, Mork and Mindy. Ah, okay. So this is that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is as if we went back to Mork's home planet. And it turns out that it's part of this huge space opera. That, that and they were space Rome, and they were taking over the known galaxy. Right, and holding <laughs> slaves on slave planets. And he, Mork, wants to uh, start a revolution. And but can't, can't okay. oppose the uh, ruling families. That Yeah, all right. So Chill. in this fanfic, the events of Ursa Yatsura, the series, are um, dreams shared by Atari Moriboshi, a human on Earth, and Lum of Lum Reddit, Lum of the House of Reddit, whatever. Reddit Lum. They're using Japanese <laughs> styles. I, I just think about the, about the website now. Yeah. R-E-D-D-I-T. <laughs> She's the empress, future empress of Reddit, the website. <laughs> giving her great and terrible power. Mostly terrible. Mostly terrible. No. She's, uh, in this fanfic, she's actually basically princess in line to be empress of the Urusean Empire, which is a fairly standard space empire. Also, doesn't that mean annoying alien in Japanese? Urusei? Yes, it's a joke. The planet is Urusei, like the Urusei. planet Uru. Yeah. But it's also how you'd say Urusei, like shut up, or like you're being really mm. annoying, or like that so kind of I, thing. So I couldn't unhear that even when they were talking serious. <laughs> mm. 
all these Urusayans. <laughs> the Urusayan royal family that went back for 5,000 years. Urusay. <laughs> um, right. In this fanfic, she's a future empress and she's basically a war leader. You know, she's a, I forget what her actual rank is. Like, she's in charge of a fleet. She's like an admiral. A general or something. A general, an admiral of a conquering invasion fleet because her dad's the emperor. She's going to be seceding him at it, some point. It's very Roman. It's like, you're going to be the next head of the empire, so go out and gain some territory, gain some prestige, so that you can uh, rule the empire uh, with, with the support of all the populace and the yeah. families. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it, It's kind of unique with her, though, because apparently, we learn a little later on, that, like, first of all, she has to marry a man in order to, like, succeed the throne. But actually, we learn a bit later that's also unconventional, like, because she's only a daughter and she has no siblings. And normally, it would be, like, the next closest male relative would actually succeed the throne. But for some reason, her parents were able, her father was able to decide that she should if she married. Well, it's not, that's one of the things about this fanfic that's really cool is that there's, there's a lot of political intrigue going on and it's all kind of, it all kind of makes sense. And so the situation there is that basically there's, her father has enough political weight behind her that there's no one's raising an objection because he's allied with like the second most powerful mm. house and she's agreed to marry, you know, their firstborn. And therefore, like, it's all circumstantial. It's all just like in this situation, they're going to get her to be empress by striking this kind of deal that everyone can live with. In the balance of the royal of the and it, noble houses, like which totally great, makes sense. Great space opera fodder. Yeah. It is. It's yeah. very. It's very good space opera. And I'd like to talk about the space opera side of things a bit first because it's by far the more interesting part. The Earth stuff is pretty boring and all. Uh, well, we'll get to it. Yeah. Yeah. So the space stuff. We've got two other space PCs, um, which are to say characters who clearly if this was a role-playing game they would be the ones that the players are playing who like actively move and have like really good skills and like are messing things up so they then have to improvise that's a great way to put it because like every so often there's these people in these stories that are like obviously talented obviously have their own stuff going on but they all work together in the same party because all their players know each other it's pretty great (laughs) well you know lum and benton's Players worked this out. Yeah. They, they have a backstory. <laughs> Benton is a slave pilot for a fighter, uh, what do you call it, like, small fighter craft. Um, and there's only, like, five slave pilots in the entire empire, they say. And, and the entire empire's army, which is 95 billion soldiers. Yeah. So, and out of those five, they're the best of those five. Which means they're probably the best pilot in the empire, period. Best possible prestige for their... <laughs> they dumped all their points into <laughs> pilot... And intimidate, and probably some hand to hand. Now, question: Is this a character from the original, or is this every? Oh, I should say, almost every character, with one exception in this. I'm sorry, almost every protagonist character uh-huh. is from the original series. Okay, everyone from the other houses, other than um, other than Ray, is original. So, like all the space opera stuff had to be invented. Okay, so Ray is, is made Ray up by is the author. Character. No, Ray is no. not. But all of like the oh, heads Ray of the various Ray. houses, for the most oh. part, with a few exceptions, mostly the mostly the nobles of the Ursan Empire are made up, but all the important characters are adapted. And, adapted, okay. And so Benton in the original is like a violent space... Um, Baby? <laughs> space Buddhist goddess biker? Is that right? Ah. Uh, mm. Yeah. Okay, so I'm getting the impression that 
the original is, you know, kind of like a gag slapstick oh, yeah. kind Completely. of yes. thing. So uh, these are probably characters who had like one-offs. Benton uh, is actually a reoccurring or, character. Okay. Most people in this are all reoccurring characters. One-off characters don't tend to appear. Okay. Um, so the recurring characters, but like in the in the, I'm asking too many questions about the original series because I never saw it. But are they people who inhabit Earth for a time? Do they stay the, there? The with alien characters love? tend to come and go. Ron okay. sticks around. They come Earth. and go. Okay. Yeah. Chill. So in going over these, I should say something about them in the source. In the source, Benton is Lum's like best friend, and she's a violent space Buddhist goddess who rides a space motorcycle. And, and it's covered in chains and most of an outfit. Right. <laughs> I, I don't know if I'd say most of an outfit. Some of an outfit. I mean, most of a <laughs> bikini. <laughs> Not all of it. <laughs> uh, in the fanfic, she's definitely one of the PC-type characters. And again, she's she is one of Lum's childhood friends, but they hadn't seen each other since they were really little kids because they were not supposed to hang out together. And she's risen to be a fighter pilot because she loves flying in space. And also, it turns out, she's kind of been... Uh, the Emperor has kind of been helping her out. At the very end, you find out that, like, she's sort of... Um, she's sort of an agent of the Emperor also. And she's on the same ship as Lum... That, like, Lum, she's on Lum's command ship at this point. Mm-hmm. And the other PC person... And, Dom, this is where it really comes in, where it's, like, characters who just trust each other completely for no absolutely clear reason. Yeah. Is Lum's cousin, Ten, who in the original is a floating baby who breathes fire... <laughs> And who in this is absolutely nothing like that whatsoever. He's yeah, it's a like a playboy. He's that character. He's, a, he's Littlefinger and, and right. um, what's he's, the bald one from Game of Thrones? Oh, um, what's his name? Varys. Varys. He's Littlefinger and Varys rolled into one. He's Silk from the Belgarian. But he's also like yes, <laughs> thank show. you. And that is exactly he, right. He's, he's this character type, and I want to say this because it's this character type like Silk where. They are professionally a thief-type person or a, a spy-type person, and yet you, the protagonists trust them completely because they're 100% behind what the protagonists want to be doing. You don't have to worry about it. Obviously, they're on your side. They're a great person. Yeah. They're professionally <laughs> charming. Like, that's exactly what, like, what Gerritin sometimes called Ten is, which is confusing because, like, Benton is also could be called Ten. But it is not. Gerritin, I miss but, them up all the time. Yeah, and they're not even from the same planet. Uh, point is, Gerritin is professionally charming. And has, like, a contact. So here, here's the thing. When I was thinking about this type of character, I realized the most recent time I've seen them is in Crazy Rich Asians. Did either of you see that? Yeah, uh-huh. that's a great movie. So the the cousin who knows everything about family dynamics but has absolutely no goals themselves, right? Who is like who, who's just way behind the protagonists and helping them do what they're doing and advises them and dresses them properly. The, the, the one that became friends with Aquafina. Yes, ten. Yeah. <laughs> ten. Is, oh, you mean in real life? No, in the movie. Oh, in the movie, yeah. <laughs> ten is that character. Yeah, and it's that's the best way to describe it. I think. But it's also weird in these this type of character in these stories because, yeah, they can do anything. They can get that information. They can uh, murder that person. They, yeah. They, they can manipulate people. They can steal children, whatever. But they're on your side, so they're good people, right? Absolutely. No. We're not supposed to worry about it. No, they're, hmm. they're terrible, horrible murderers, but they like you. Nintendo <laughs> <laughs> does not actually murder anybody but that o- we know of in this story. Only because nobody told them to. <laughs> right. <laughs> He's given that, that solution many times. <laughs> yeah, both Ten and Benton 
kind of turn to violence as a first, like, Benton also multiple times thinks, this would be a lot easier if I killed this person, but yes. Lum doesn't want me to. However, so, like, just to, like, sum up the difference between that, it's, like, Benton's thing is that in this, I suppose the slave planets did not exist in the source, but oh, no. she's, like, part of an enslaved planet. So she's been repressing a lot of anger, and her violence is kind of a shield, whereas... Ten is part of one of the noble families and is privileged and is a European and has never been a slave. And a lot of his thing is more the charisma thing where, like, I wish they'd gone more into why this character does what he does, but he is an archetype that he gets his way and he supports his friends, but through manipulation. (laughs) And he's one of those people where it's like you absolutely don't want to like them, but you can't help but do it. Because they're written so likably. Yeah. Exactly. And have yeah. such great dialogue. It's and, great. And they're really and there master for the main manipulators. Characters. They sure are. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they're there yeah. and, they, and they tell the main characters, just do what your heart says. Yeah. My heart says murder people, but let's listen to your your heart. <laughs> and I want what's best for you. Yeah. Now it's one of those people you'd really have to analyze to to figure out that they might actually be a really shitty person. Now Lum in this is someone who's portrayed and it's emphasized as, more and more as the story goes has like a really good student in many ways very multi-talented been pushing themselves super hard their whole life to like live up to expectations and be able to be like a strong uh, emperor person <laughs> later in life um and so it's portrayed that like in the dreams oh sh- she wants to be super carefree and like I guess, goofy and sometimes vindictive because she seems to really like her dream self. Yeah, it just comes off as an, an, an escape, not having to think about anything, just being able to react and not plan. Yeah. And totally obsessing on her beloved... Is that what she calls him? Yeah. Her darling. 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 Yes. Um, What's in Japanese? Daringu. That's what I thought. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she obsesses about... Uh, what's his name? Ataru. Uh, Ataru. She's obsessed with him as this way out of her life and into a new world of freedom. Yeah. Now, here's, I think, one of the weak points of the story. It's like, they're supposed to be, they're supposed to have fallen in love through their dreams. But she like, and Ataru. But, like, if you've watched these dreams, would you really think any of that was, like, love? Absolutely. I mean, for one thing, Ataru, in the dreams, because <laughs> the dreams are clearly Ursa Yatsura, right? Mm-hmm. Ataru's terrible. Like, worse than Haposai, sort he, of. Is he worse than Haposai? I mean, he's basically just Haposai, which basically is bad awesome. enough. Yeah. It's real bad. And so what? what is she supposed to have fallen in love with? Like, the idea of love? I like, though, that I have the privilege of not having seen the series. Because <laughs> you, you kind of get hints of this. And, you know, like, my vague exposure to the idea of it was, like, it was one of these terrible man stories where it's some sort of male fantasy of, like, alien women being sexy and men getting to be terrible and getting away with it. But in the story, not a lot of that's present. What's more present is the idea that they truly love each other. However, the objection that I take is that they make it very clear that the love is important to her because it's an escape from mm-hmm. her responsibility. The author makes that very clear early on. And yet, when the characters do connect, their love becomes the most important thing in the world. And it's true love, and it's pure love, and it's all that matters. So that element of escapism kind of is vanished from the story. It, it felt a little I, strange. It's there slightly on Ataru's side, because one of his things is, like, when he comes into contact with Lum, we're skipping around because... 
it's like a hundred and twenty-five thousand words. We're it's not going really to go story. blow by blow. Also, pretty meaty too. Yeah, it, it, it is. It, the plot is rather thick. When Ataru does come in contact with her, his character development, such as it is in the story, is deciding like, "Hey, this slum is kind of super intense, and apparently, like, the leader of a." horrible enslaving empire and like really different from the lum i know in my dreams am i like is this a lum that i want to be with halfway through the story he's like oh yeah i'm behind her <laughs> oh, yeah. i'm with it yeah 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 sure it's all good yeah and he's like no yeah i'm i'm committing to this relationship so like it's not like it drags out there i know but you know just to point out really quickly and we should move but it's funny that he has that query and that question, but Lum never questions no, him No, even at though all. his dream self is, like I said, the worst. Yeah, the worst. like, <laughs> now that I'm finding out about this, I'm just having to take a moment and being like, um, why are you not questioning this? And, you know, you never really get a reason why she likes him at all. Yeah. Like, there's plenty of good things about her, but sure. what's good about Ataru? Yeah, is she in love with him in this fiction because... That's what the author interprets the series, or what? That's what the author wants to happen, or this is like a what if she actually did love him. I yeah. feel like there's a lot of things that are well thought out in this fanfic or well developed, but that's a thing you just kind of have to feel like, yeah, okay, they're they're in, she loves him for I'm sure good reasons. I guess that's I'd fine. I'd be okay with that if that wasn't like a major turning point for the character or yeah. the action of the story. Yeah, I just feel like it would have made more sense if the author had gone with their original theory, which is like that it was about escapism and that when she fully like realized the relationship, she'd be like, oh, well, he's not a good guy. Mm. It was just escapism, but I'm going to take charge of my life. Instead, it's like, oh, he's actually great and I still love him, but I'm going to take charge of my own life, which just <laughs> didn't make a lot of sense. I feel like you could still take the escapism angle and turn that into a different sort of relationship between those two. Not as intense star-crossed romance, but like maybe something else, but still involved. Hmm. Well, moving on a bit, the other characters on the flagship who are important are Ray, who is Lum's fiance, also in the canon. In the canon, he's monosyllabic and he loves food and Lum in that order. Was he the one that looks like Ryoga? He's the one who's yeah supposed to be incredibly handsome and looks like Ryoga, okay. and he's supposed to be like super handsome and attractive to all women until he opens his mouth and then like most everyone realizes that actually he's like he's got nothing going on <laughs> um but and in this he's still supposed to be kind of like a simple simple-minded character who is terse and but he's kind of he's you know the next in line for his family the sex <sighs> i'm gonna need to say that out loud one time <laughs> yep <laughs> Uh, he's next in line for his family, the Sex, and he's supposed well, to be... Well, it's SEQ, right? Yes. So yeah. the Sec? The Sec family. Good. Yeah, uh, go with Sec. The Sec. Let's go with the Sec. <laughs> uh, the Sec family, and he's the one who's supposed to marry Lum, and, you know, her father. It's an arranged marriage. Uh, and he loves her in a kind of abstract way, like, ah, oh, she's super awesome, and she does not like him. In the original series, what's this character like? Um, he's in love with Lum, in that most of what he says is Lum. 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 Like actually monosyllabic? Yes, like single single syllable words, yes. So, so no uh, character development, really? No, none. And he turns into a tiger when he's upset, or like a bull tiger thing. And he also loves food. So a non-character, pretty much. Well, he's a, he's a gag character, but the gags are never centered on him. It's always him enabling a gag, right? He's not like the character that's going to be at the center of a story. He's going to be a character... Like, for example, Ron is in love with him in the manga. Mm -hmm. Ron is a childhood friend who acts friendly to Lum, but secretly hates her in the manga. Um, And in this, Ron is her... Attendant. Attendant. 
and and loves she, her. She, well, she likes she loves Lum, but she's also jealous of Lum being the empress, and she's also kind of annoyed at Lum a lot for like not not appreciating the like luxury and power at hand, like the fact that she's marrying this super hot like oh well, that's you know, powerful she's guy in love with Ray. But yeah. as soon as she did spo- spoil it's fine. spoiled yeah. The, yeah spoiled I want to as spoil as soon as she gets Ray she's not so, yeah there's like, no real source of conflict she's there only, and, and, and it's not even as soon as she gets Ray it's as soon as Lum tells her like hey I'm gonna free the slave planets and like you're gonna get Ray like it, it, she tells her that far before she actually gets with Ray she's like I don't want Ray you should have him I'm gonna get you him and then she's <laughs> yeah. no longer annoyed and it's and she, I don't think she ever really was annoyed I think she was just annoyed with her situation yeah. was kind of the intimation. Ron in this, as a attendant, does keep, well, she's ex- like extremely duty- dutiful, but also she does keep kind of her perfect willingness to engage in subterfuge that she has in the original. Mm-hmm. She's kind of neat as a secondary minorish character. And those are kind of our main cast up in the invading fleet. This invading fleet is heading towards Earth. Lum has been having weird dreams for a long time that... She's been telling people about her. She's been telling Ron about it, and Ron's been, like, spreading it because it's good everybody. gossip. Everybody. Right. And so everyone knows he's been having dreams oh, about that. that are, like, this continuing narrative of, like, her on a weird alien planet, and some people from her life show up, but they're different sometimes. Like, the whole ship knows about it. it Probably super, the whole empire. Like, it's super weird about that, though, because... Ron seems super loyal, like, way, like, after that. That's why I forgot about that part. She mentions it once where she says, like, I didn't think it was any harm. It's, like, it wasn't state yeah. secrets. It was your dreams. Seriously, though, like, who spreads around, like, but, somebody else's dreams? Like, But if someone in the royal family, that is a state secret, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But also, it's just, also, like, like, Ron is loyal, but just very gossipy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But, but gossipy is, uh, okay, whatever. She, she, I think she, if I told my friend something that I was, like, this is kind of private and personal, and they blabbed it over, I'd be kind of sad. But I guess if it was, like, something where you were, like, this is a dream I had, and it was kind of funny, but it's, like, more like, this is a dream I have, and it's kind of personal. That's mm-hmm. why I feel like it's kind of weird. I have some members of my family that, like, I don't tell them stuff unless I want everybody in the family to know. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I get it. Like, I don't think it's a, a huge offense or anything. It's just, like, if something seems personal, such as, I had a dream about someone and I fell in love with them. I keep dreaming about them every night and I'm in love with them. That seems kind of personal, you know? Well, But yeah. it's also, like, people from her life are appearing in, like, weird, like, twisted roles and it's interesting. It's like, oh, and, you know, Ray turns into a bull when he's angry and that's funny. And also Ron is yeah. in them. Yeah, Ron's in the dreams. Yeah. Sure. Mm. Um, but the, the fleet's heading to Earth. Lum has no idea that Earth is the planet she's been dreaming about. And it's probably called something else in Ursaean, whatever. They're just like, it's a conquering, it's an invasion fleet. They, they kind of have their next target. Meanwhile, on Earth, we've got Ataru and various Earth people. And, you know, I like the space cast. The Earth cast, I'm less of a fan of. Well, it's because they're not very well developed. Well, it's I, just the main guy, then the girl he's not interested in, then Hiroshi and Daisuke, right? I mean, yeah, it's, it's not good. Like, okay, so Ataru. Ataru is... Pretty much a normal high school student. He's like his manga counterpart. If you took out his manga counterpart's only defining characteristic of being, quote, comedically, unquote, lecherous, which leaves him with no personality. So just Ataru minus Hapasai equals this character. Equals nothing. (laughs) Yeah, he he really does have no personality. Like, he kind of conveniently bends to the situation. Like, we get the impression that he wasn't a great student. And that's an outside perspective because his his uh, professor, I guess, 
High school they professor. They say professor, but I think they mean teacher. Has that perspective that he wasn't a great student and there wasn't much to be expected from him. We get the perspective from his friends briefly that he was supposed to be kind of, you know, a womanizer, at least in his own they, mind. It's an informed attribute a the dreams bit. start and then he's devoted to his dream girl. The people around Ataru still talk about Ataru like it was the original Ataru character. Even though he does nothing like that in the whole fanfic, no. so it's kind of weird. He's kind of just humble and insecure and yeah. uh, a little bit one-dimensional. But, like, I, these are different characters that appear in the show, right? The, the sort of an alternate universe there are different there are different characters but i just mean i'm not complaining about them being dif- being different from canon i'm complaining about them not being interesting well it's like if they're this different from canon anyways couldn't they continue that backwards to make it a different character exactly yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so you have shinobu who's his long-term girlfriend who's very annoyed that he's been having dreams about a space princess repeatedly and everybody knows it and in the manga shinobu dumps his ass by about chapter three of, of like a 300 one, chapter think, manga well no because in the first chapter she's like ataru if you save the earth i'll marry you and he's like that gives me motivation and then but then she's she's done with him by like pretty soon in this story she's in love with him yeah for no clearly defined reasons well it's high school right it's high school <laughs> that's about all she has going on until no. really late in the story and even then, it's just like, once she's in space, she's like, I, I kind of want a life of adventure instead of a life of being a housewife. Yeah, but the whole time, she's very threatened by these dreams he has. It makes sense. It's just that that's her only character beat. Yeah. And you've got Megane and company, who are anime-only characters, who are kind of shitty high school students, and they remain shitty high school students. And there's not much to say about them. Yeah. It's weird, the dichotomies here. Like, the same thing happens with the Taru, where you're given... I guess what is supposed to be sort of the flavor of the original characters, but then there's a lot of expectation to remain invested in them and sympathetic with them as the story continues, despite them not being given any of their traits other than liking hot girls. Yeah. Basically. And, and the author Tormenting at, their friends. at least doesn't make them do anything shitty. It's just they like hot girls and they sometimes talk about liking hot girls. They're kind of assholes and then to, to Ataru. Ataru's but, yeah. a little bit insecure and then his friends are, yeah, like, I don't know. They make fun of him, but then they kind of pull back when they're in space and they also feel insecure. But anyone would feel insecure being pulled into space. Like, eh. Well, I mean, it just the, the larger yeah. problem here is that Megane you know, and his little group are kind of mean or kind of like, I'm like teasing Ataru a bunch, but that's fine. Cause I don't care about Ataru either. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> that's and, not what any of the story is about. Really. And finally for the main earth crew, we've got Mendo and unlike the others who are kind of like their manga anime counterparts, but more boring, he's supposed to be an inversion of his original counterpart, which kind of supposes that this is a completely different universe huh. than the, uh, than the slapstick original stories well it is it's just that sometimes it's really similar for no reason yeah but why couldn't they make it more different in a more interesting way it's very inconsistent in terms of like who's who's the same who's different who's kind of the same but boring because they made mendo a completely different character so why couldn't they just make ataru like a completely different interesting character it's really confusing to me because the more I'm learning about the source, the more the story confuses me. Like, having no information on the source, I assume the characters were somewhat similar. And then in the dreams, they were similar people as they were in the reality. That would make sense. And now I'm learning they're very different people. 
but they never address that in the story. It's they, like they, they never address why Ataru would act like a dick in the dreams and not in reality. I mean, not that he doesn't act somewhat dickish, but not the same amount. It's like, why? Well, why? you get actually on Lums and especially a lot of one-off offhanded comments about why the characters that she knows in quote reality appear as they do in the dream. Yeah. But, Sometimes, but it's kind of hand wavy. Like, so for yeah. example, you get her mother who in the original speaks in an incomprehensible Urusean language while every other Urusean person speaks, you know, Japanese. Mm-hmm. And like Atara's like, yeah, what was with that? And she's like, oh yeah, my mother and I don't understand each other a lot of the time. Or it's like, Ten has a sharp tongue, which is why he's like, and is supposed to be like a, you know, lazy person as she sees him. So that's why he's a baby who breathes fire. Like, but that's as far as it goes. Yeah, you get a, yeah, totally. You get a little bit of that. But that's the thing is that that's on the assumption that that's the perspective of the people dreaming. That mm-hmm. is, you know, uh, Lum and... Ataru. Ataru. It's okay Why if you never... forgetting his name? Because he's boring. Because he's boring. Like, no, but I read like 300 pages of this story where the name was mentioned like every other paragraph and it's I keep forgetting his though. name. Um... <laughs> That's from their perspectives, so I guess it makes sense. But why are they so different as people? That's, yeah, that's an interesting question. It's supposed like, to be... Yeah, well, Lum's we, we, escapism makes sense, but, but Ataru, Ataru... dreaming of himself as, like, the worst human being is a different nonsensical, thing. Nonsensical, yeah. yeah. It makes sense if, if, like, Ataru was, like, a repressed person that was a... I forgot what part of the mind, not the id or the ego or the... Libido. The, <laughs> that one that was like an expression of the, uh, them yeah. holding back their desires to be a terrible person yeah but yeah. I, they talk like this Atari is the same sometimes yes, they yes. sometimes they do early on it's a weak Lum does and that and that's the part that's weird whereas Atari identifies that Lum is somewhat different yeah but but let's move on I mean just quickly sorry Mendo in the canon is a rich Zaibatsu heir um, and he's supposed to like put up a refined facade, but actually he's just as petty as Ataru is, and that's kind of like an you know ongoing thing. Mm-hmm. And in this, he's kind of like a reserved daydreamy student who likes to tell like stories about like how he is rich or if he was rich or whatever. It's implied that he has a, a rough home life. That's about, and that he's you know quite poor, and that's about it. Also, I kept reading Mendo as Murdo every so often. <laughs> Murdo. <laughs> Not I don't know. Mendo's fine. He's he's kind of interesting. He doesn't do anything interesting until halfway through, and he's definitely not a PC. But, you know, it's fine in, in that metaphor. Mm-hmm. So here's the basic plot. Like, Lum's father's planning on, like, secretly, and in, in communication with her, says, hey, look, I'm planning on seceding to you, so, like, go conquer this planet, like, come meet up. I'm going to, like, announce that I'm seceding. You're going to have the throne for a little while, and I'm and you're going to have it by yourself until we can set up the marriage, which gives you time to consolidate your power before you have to marry into this other noble family. And so she's in a precarious political situation. So when they go to Earth, and she realizes that, like, her her beloved, her darling's down there, and this is, like, the plan she's been dreaming of, and she stops the whole invasion and, like, goes down and secretly hasn't brought up the ship, it starts this chain of... The character's doing something that is politically threatening to Lum and or, like, dangerous to these human peoples or whatever. And then trying to find ways to cover it up or spin it to their advantage or whatever. And that sort of um, also very role-playing game party, like, just coming up with crazy improvised plans to, like, 
to turn situations to their advantage. That kind of thing continues and escalates until they're finally at the point where basically Lum has to, like, makes the commitment to turn to declare Ataru as her, like, fiancé, basically, and declare that she's going to abolish slavery and everyone can fall in line or she's going to shoot them. And, like, you know, there's all this political intrigue that goes along that whole way and, like, minor houses and major houses and, like, slave planets that are probably going to be in support of her and, like, Benton is sort of a correspondent to, like, the slave rebellion and Ten is someone who's, like, fixing problems and trying to keep humans hidden and sometimes making out with humans and then, like, going back down the earth and then, like, getting captured by the people there who have just been invaded partially by, like, alien races. And it's all very complicated. And the plot is pretty lengthy but what it base that's what it basically comes down to is like an escalating series of events and try ways to try to patch those events fairly successfully because the main alien characters in particular are quite competent really like all of them they're very good at what they do yeah the, the there's there's kind of a little like there's a lot of character detail that goes into this too like we're gonna get developments of like benton being an advocate for the slave races, but, like, being kind of mad at Lum that she's not immediately free the plants when she does find out that she's about to succeed the throne in two weeks, but nobody can know that. Her father's like, in two weeks you're going to be empress, but nobody's going to know, and I'm not going to tell anybody. And a lot of people's trying to bend her ear. Meanwhile, she's very focused on her love, Ataru, which you would think would draw her attention away from her real struggle, but seems to reinforce it a lot more, actually. Yeah, I mean, she likes, once they get in contact with each other and spend a little time together, like, I guess the source of strength is that he's accepting her for, you know, who she is, and also promises to, like, be by her side and help with what Mm -hmm. he can. Mm -hmm. And he ends up being more competent, or, like, the, the turning point in forcing them to decide all of this is that he's ended up being presented with her presented to her as a slave, quote-unquote, taken from Earth, to give him a cover for being on the ship. And, like, she challenges him to a game of this rather detailed... Um, Very detailed. Like, yes. what do you call it? What, what what kind of game would you call this? It's like a... Tag. It's Of course, it's tag, yeah. It's like, a, it's like a fighting training sort of simulation game. They present it very much as a game, but it's very high stakes. It's very sci-fi. It's like you can get very injured doing it. And it's also supposed to be the, like why in the dreams Lum can throw lightning bolts, because she's very, very good at um, at this game where like you build up an electrical charge and you have to touch the opponent without touching a metal thing that will ground you. And you're fighting zero G or near zero G. So you're like leaping, flying through the air and you have to wear like very little clothes because that's how the electricity works. And a lot of it is memory because if you touch the wrong pole, you're going to get electrocuted. Because there's poles that all look the same. Some are metal, some are plastic. The important thing here is that it's a much better game than Quidditch. Yeah, no, it's extremely well done and complicated. I'd say comparable. They're both kind of... (laughs) I love the description of the game. I think it's really well done. But the weirdest part is that there's descriptions of her playing it before and her being, like, the best at it and, like, beating everybody. And then... She challenges her, quote, new slave Ataru. This is, like, you know, 70% of the way through the book. She challenges him to a game because she wants someone to play against and most people won't play her because she's, like, really, really good. And this is a mirror of the first chapter of the... Yeah. Yeah. He beats her first time. And really handily. It's kind of... For no reason. Well, the thing is, you'd think the author would have stated explicitly, because the author tends to state things explicitly when they're relevant. Mm -hmm. One of the weaknesses of the writing is that it's often very tell. 
It's like they'll they'll tell you what people are thinking and like what the choices are and what they decide and tell you all kinds of things. Yeah. But but they don't tell you that the reason Ataru wins is because he's used to dodging lightning bolts from love and their dreams. Oh. And you think that that was the implication. That would be the obvious way to attribute this win to him. But, yeah, because it's but weird. But they don't actually say it. The first thing he does is not know that it's like 10% gravity, which you think Lum would have told him because she doesn't want him to get hurt and shoots him to the ceiling and gets hurt. And like, she's really concerned about him. But then he handily defeats her. So. Yeah, he, he beats her. And, you know, like a bunch of the ship has come to watch. They're like, hey, you know, the princess is fighting her new slave. This should be good for a laugh. And then, you know, once, once he starts winning, like bets are placed. And he beats her and she's, you know, kind of, caught up in the adrenaline and also woozy from being electrically shocked and kisses him. And well, and also she is the first time she's lost ever. And she feels good about it because she knows that he's going to be strong and support her. And this is kind of a, a turning point of shit hitting the fan where like they're forced into action. They've got to, they've got to move faster than perhaps they were planning on it. And like one of the tensions in it has been, Benton pushing Lum to like try to free the slave plants immediately and her being like oh the emperor is not all powerful I've got to work within the system and like do reforms and Benton's like fuck your reforms like (laughs) people are dying come on yeah absolutely Mm -hmm. and you know this is a turning point for a lot of things and including Benton at this point like ends up bringing various slaves on the ship to Ataru and being like hey like this is the guy who's going to be on our side and like have our Uh, our corner but that happens after after the game Yes, after the game, but the main turning point is that they kiss in public. Right, and so then, like, the that's out, and it's going to be a huge political scandal, and, like, they've got to do something, and they're kind of forced into action. Um, one of the things that I think is really strong about the plot, the space opera plot, is that the author is very good about what individual characters want, and also what individual characters know. Mm-hmm. Like, studiously so. And so, for example, there's a point where to get Ray off of Lum's back and distract him and maybe even get him to their side, they hook him up with Ron, who's in love with him. Mm -hmm. And, like, Ron has these thoughts going on as she's going off to seduce him. Like, Ten is the one who talked to her about it. And she doesn't know that, like, Ataru's on the ship. She just knows that Lum's not in love with Ray. And she's, like, going through these scenarios where it's like, well, it's possible that he'll dump Lum for me. And that would be a win for all of us. But it's more likely that he'll keep me on as a consort, as a consort which is a pretty good situation to be in when the Empress has your back and approves of the relationship. And, like, that would be fine. And then, you know, my bastard offspring would probably still have this position. And she's going through these scenarios as to what she's thinking and what she's hoping to get out of this. And none of them are relevant to the larger plot because... What she knows about the situation is a lot less than what we know. Yeah, it was nice because it showed that in that particular moment that Ron was willing to go with this because even the worst case scenario, is, it still was pretty good for Ron. And there's some risks involved, but like there are risks that she's willing to mm-hmm. take. And, and she goes through that whole mental space. Yeah. And it's really interesting seeing this game playing like in her mind. And, you know, to, to her extent, she's also like genuinely in love with Ray. And... But but it's just for like, some reason he's like, well he is super hot yeah, yeah but she doesn't really know him like yeah, they well, haven't in, had in a lot love, of interactions unquote, but you know yeah love is okay yeah let's clarify that love is not like a real thing in this story it's more like I think you're hot yeah and I, we're gonna get married now I was gonna say in lust at least in lust at least yeah. yeah well lust and love are pretty conflated in this story it's like people immediately are attracted to each other or from a distance are attracted to each other, and then the relationship comes to fruition, and apparently it's true love. Yeah, I guess. 
Um, because they're hot. Like, that's a big turning... But there's a big thing. Like, the hotness of the characters is such a huge thing, and it's it's quite odd. Yeah. Well, I wanted to praise that kind of studious attention to characters' individual motivations and perspectives, because yeah. I think it's actually a very cool thing about the story, that, like, Ron's not just, like, written off like she's got her motivations, and they're clear, and she's thought about them, and she knows what she's doing with her life. Yeah, not just a pawn for use for the main characters. They have right. their own motivations that make sense, that they work together. Right. Yeah. And, and so she... But, Tori, you mentioning the, the like, heterosexual pairing off... <laughs> <laughs> heterosexuality yeah, seems well. to be like gravity in this story because frigging everybody gets paired off. They do. Um, and it's actually a fascinating dichotomy between how complicated and fascinating the political intrigue is, mm-hmm. how well the social structures are laid out, how much, as you mentioned, like they talk in the story about how social change is going to come, but we have to bring it about gradually. We can't just have like one rapid violent revolution and things will immediately change. Except even that though they're that kind is, of forced to, but yeah, then there's there's kind like of other factors to. at play. But, and ma- like, it's, yeah. yeah, there's a lot going on. Like, Benton just wants to free the slave planets um, and is like, why don't you just do that right now? And Lum's like, do you have any idea what the consequences would be if I became empress and went, all the slave planets are free? Like, and, shit would hit the fan. Yeah, but, but Benton's like, look, there's five times as many slaves as there yeah. are, like, Ursanes on this and ship. Like, every single point is super valid. Um, I mean, I personally agree with Benton's perspective, like overthrow the domineering empire, but the story doesn't eventually lead to that point. That's fine. But, but anyway, the point is that the relation, the romances are less interesting. They're all, (laughs) Mm -hmm. they're all not very interesting. We've got Lum and Ataru. We've got Benton who ends up surprisingly committed to Mendo in a very short period of time. Yeah, they all get paired off in a way that you would expect a fan to just, like, pair off minor characters. Dom, you didn't reach the end. No. We have, they're not quite a couple, but she agrees to go on a date with him. We've got Shinobu and Ten. Mm, don't okay. like it. <laughs> oh, it, it keeps going. Obviously, we've yeah. got Ron and Ray, which is the one that I approve of, because I think it's pretty fun. And there's fun stuff with, like, Ray also, like, has his own perspectives and desires. And he's like, I didn't really want to be emperor anyway. Like, maybe it's good to go against my family's plans. It's implied that... The uh, dreams or the original Urusei Yatsura supports that shipping also. Yeah, I mean, huh. R- Ron's in love with Ray, like, yeah. and Ray's not getting with Lum, so sure. <laughs> and it's funny too because Ray is consistently, like, explicitly characterized by other characters as being, like, quote unquote, simple minded, like, very, very negative things about what they consider to be, I guess, in intelligence I yeah suppose. he's comedically dumb in the original yeah it, I, just, you know terrible things but he he doesn't present that way you know and i i think that's he doesn't present you know the the way that the other characters describe him he's like he's just seems like he's a nice pretty much nice guy like he, he loves Lum and he wants to be with her but, but he also but like when he realizes he, when that's he knows not Lum doesn't love him he's like he's well like, okay I'm not well push yeah that. I'm gonna move on he just seems like a very reasonable person I also you know? like oh. this also seems like a case where the characters are talking to the Ray from the original series not mm-hmm. the Ray that exists in this universe yeah but and you do see inside this Ray's head you're right like sometimes that seems to happen just like with Ataru you're right yeah but, yeah, you do see inside his head, and, like, he has thoughts, and he has, like, reasonable motivations. At one point, he's like, I, I was fine with being emperor until they told me I couldn't be a pilot anymore. And, and he likes yeah. piloting. Not that, and, he, you know, the, the story tells, says he's not a great pilot. 
is okay. But, but he's yeah. a fine pilot, and he's like he likes the like this is the objective. This is what I'm trying to do. These are the controls. This is what the controls do. He likes the like hands-on direct nature of it, and yeah. he would rather keep doing that. Yeah, he has quite simple goals and motivations. Which I think is really admirable. I would love to have simple goals and motivations. <laughs> Sounds great, <laughs> right? Um, and I love that they—they they don't. I hate that they use such um, I don't know ableist and disparaging terms towards him in terms of his quote-unquote intelligence. But I love that they treat the character as fundamentally just like a good and reasonable person. I mean, I, I liked Ray in this. He's yes. got a lot of dignity, actually. Yes. And, like, he ends up decking his father later on in the fanfic. Hmm. What, like, he's he basically signs on board with the rest of them when they're like, look, you can marry Ron, like, you don't have to be emperor, like, just, you know, join up with us. And he's like, yeah, sure, like, eventually. Well, it's like, even in the beginning, they talked about how, like, they talked about Ray, like, Ray was a terrible person, you weren't supposed to like them, but, like, mm-hmm. they have, Lum and Ray have, Lum did, yeah. have a, lunch together i think yeah and they talked about how mom always hate how ray ate food but like they came in that time and like they had learned proper etiquette and they just so yeah. mom wasn't uncomfortable yeah mom has been uh, ray had been really and, trying yeah and then they were really, yeah. really trying to, to improve themselves and they did and that was great and mom really appreciated it. it was sweet because it was like the idea that you know ray just didn't really realize what Lum wanted until a certain point and then when he did he totally tried to conform to that out of respect for her. Yeah. He seemed very sweet. He's a stand-up guy. I, it was yeah. nice how they, how Ray and Lum both liked doing this um, weird tag game together. Yeah. yeah, and that's like the one thing they shared that they enjoyed together. Yeah, and then there was just a nice piece in the, early in the beginning where just they were just, I mean, not necessarily, they don't have to be in love, but they were nice to each other and they don't have to yeah. be why, why all this hostility between each other. <laughs> but there's one other pairing I want to get into, not because it's interesting, but because it's interesting externally. Um, which is that Ray's sister Sugoi ends up being deployed onto the ship partway through the fanfic as a spy for her family. And she's someone, she's the type of spy where everybody knows she's a spy, <laughs> but the point of how she operates is that she's so high status that you can't just blow her off without it being a diplomatic incident. Mm. And so you have to let her be around and like, you know, and then she just tries to talk with you and like, and she's, she's dumped all of her points into sense motive is what she's done. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, to use the RPG metaphor. Anyway, they end up dis- after some back and forth and trying to throw her off the scent and like eventually she's like catching on things way too quickly. They end up kind of basically just dumping her on Earth and being like, we'll come back for her later. <laughs> and they spend some time with her on Earth and it's super boring. But Megane, who she kidnapped earlier, Megane has learned the Ursain language, whatever. So she's down on Earth and she's being looked after by Megane, kind of, and they're kind of keeping her from the government. And more time is spent on that than I would like because it's boring. But the thing about Sugoi and Megane is that Sugoi is a fan-created character. Oh. This author did not make her. Huh. It's kind of an interesting background. There was a amateur press association. What do you call it? An APA where like you, everybody mails in contributions and everybody gets a copy back. Hmm. It's, like, it's like a zine, but only contributors get a copy. Um, anyway, amateur publication, whatever. There was an APA called USA Yatsura, which was low-hanging fruit for pun names. And there was a fanfic author there named Fred Lee Kane, and he and some of the other contributors came up with this character, Sugoi, and, like, her her comedic love interest was Megane. She's kind of like mm-hmm. another lum. Explains why her name is Sugoi. That explains why her name is Sugoi, yeah. yes. Um, and I don't know what year this was, but the author of this fanfic must have been exposed to that to... USA Yatsura because he's using Sugoi 
mm-hmm. which was this fan-created character that had been used in multiple stories, um, and drawing her into this. Mm. Yeah. I really thought that she was a character from the source. You would, because she's treated the same way as other characters from the source. And she also kind of fills in like a role that mm-hmm. that would make total sense in that series, which is being like cute and young looking, but actually being deadly. Incredibly sharp, right. Yeah. Right. It's but nonetheless, it's funny because you would think her archetype would be that. But then in this, she actually betrays a lot of insecurity around the idea that she's constantly being portrayed as cute. Mm-hmm. Like, her conniving instinct comes out a lot, but then she's also like, wow, at some point, I would really wish to be perceived as a serious, intellectual person. And, and I like that because it's the same sort of, like, thoughts that the other characters get. Like, I'm perceived this way, and I wish I was perceived this way. Yeah, there's um, a lot of that. Even though they don't go very far with those ideas. Is that all of the heterosexual pairings that Gravity pulls together <laughs> by the end of this? I'm kind of surprised we don't end up with Onsen Mark and Sakurev, just because they're on screen together and one's male and one's female. Um, do we get uh, Shinobu and Ten? Mentioned that okay. one, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. We mentioned it in passing. There was one other thing where it was, like, funny because they finally go with, you know... Lums like tens always exploiting these women, and then like Sugoi Ron, says, I, I, Sugoi? I think Sugoi says, like, okay. have you ever heard any women complain about their time no, with ten? Like, it's all consensual. <laughs> he lays it out on the line, and they know what they're getting into. However, at this point, though, she's like, however, I think he's serious about this one. And you're like, why would what? you think that? He, he gave yeah. no indication about that. Eh, anyway, but, but I do like that someone kind of checks in with, uh, with Shinobu about it, and she's like, yeah, seems like fun, like. I'll go be mm-hmm. wined and dined by this guy and seduced by him. Like, sounds, <laughs> yeah, sounds great. I mean, sounds fun. Right. <laughs> no, I like, I like that because it kind of highlights the, um, it, you know, I don't, I don't know what else to say about that except that there's not a lot of feminism that can be gleaned from this entire thing. It's, but there are moments where they identify, like, actually, you know, if somebody is, like, if some girl is, like, hey, I want to do that, that's fine. Um, it, it's not quite feminist principles, but I like no. that. But, but, but I like that, like, you talk, you can't, cause it talks about freaking everything, because this fanfic's incredibly long. It talks about the history of the Urusean Empire some, and it's kind of parallel to the Japanese imperial system, where, like, they used to be re- regarded as divine, now they're not. And also, like the Japanese imperial system, there were a few empresses. Yeah, and it's like it's just that these days, it's like, oh no, you couldn't have an empress, even though we had some empresses. In that the past. was a fun part in the beginning when they were talking about how, like, uh, Lum had to marry a man in order to become an uh, empress. Right. How in, in previous history there were a couple of empresses that were just there on the, on their own, but through unique circumstances, and they also had to fight a civil war. Right. Yeah. And, and also, like, she talks about both of those empresses, and, like, one of them's like, yeah, she was fine. Like, she she was yeah. a pretty standard <laughs> empress. Like, yeah, I was okay. I was, they, they were there. They, nothing yeah. broke. <laughs> but, 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 but Love is a total fangirl for the other one. She's yeah. like, oh, she was such a great empress. Oh, she was so cool. Which is funny, though, because Lum's whole thing is that you... I just really wish... That more that she hadn't been so obsessed with this pretty bland guy from Earth. Hmm. Yeah, it, like because everything else points to her wanting to become empress, despite the fact that's not the precedent, and doing a really good job at it. 
and 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 really like freeing slaves and like doing all this great shit. But for some reason, like ninety percent of her attention is on this dumbass Earth boy. And that just bothers the heck out of me. And like it was this Earth kid that facilitated the changes to from wishing to do it to actually doing it. But only uh, due to his presence, you yeah. know. And occasionally it's mentioned later on as they come together that he's a nice support for her mm-hmm. and that he can be strong and that she is born. Actually, what Ten says is that she's borne the weight of this for so long, being, you know, a commander of fleets at the age, you know, 15 years before anyone else would have done it, that she would have had a nervous breakdown in a couple of years, is if basically not for what the he dreams. says. Yeah. If not for Ataru. And I, I kind of hate that. Because it's just like, yeah, okay, like, that's a reasonable human perspective. But also, Ataru is given so much prevalence in this, despite not doing very much for her. Like, he beats her in combat, but how is that doing something for her? He accepts her as she is. That's nice for her self-esteem. That's a great thing, but I wish they paid more attention to that, rather than, like, they spend more time on the scene where he beats her at a game than they do the scenes where he provides... He doesn't provide her a lot of emotional support. Like if they Not spend, a lot. If they spend a scene, like, a very long scene, if they replace the scene where he beat her in a game in public, which, by the way, yeah, what, why? Um, with him providing her extensive amounts of, like, emotional support and love that would have been better than stating briefly, oh, but he supports me, sort of shit, you know? Hmm. Well, this fanfic has a lot to talk about, but we can't talk about all of it. If this sounds like the kind of story you'd be interested in, uh, then I hope you're very interested in it because this book is 125,000 words and there's a second one. But I think we should probably start wrapping things up. First off, let's air any complaints we have about the story. Are we talking about, like, general complaints? Yeah, sure. Well, like, if you talk about what I like and didn't like about the fic, it's sort of a similar thing. Mm -hmm. Where I liked the grand space opera-ness of it all, but I think it was actually held back from being a Yurisei Yatsura fic. I think that put a lot of characterizations and pressures on different characters that didn't make a lot of sense... And this space opera story they made was interesting and engaging and didn't really intersect well with the the slapstick comedy characters they were trying to bring into it. I know what you mean. I don't think any mentions of Ursiatsura canon ever are necessary and they're distracting. And the fact that some of the characters go some of the characters are just better done than others. Yeah. But they, they were like obligated to use all these characters. And I think if they didn't have Ataru to deal with, they could have made that a different or maybe even interesting character. Mm. I think really early in the fanfic, especially when they're trying to introduce all of the characters um, and, and the dream situations that are kind of the same in both circumstances. I think that's the weakest part. The beginning was not very fun to read and I got way into it later on, but I think it's hard to start with. And it's not just because of, the author need to use all these characters, introduce all these characters, and kind of like dutifully going through the stuff. It's also because the author has a tendency to tell, not show. And that's at its worst when the author is introducing characters. Yeah. And it's just like, here are my struggles that I am dealing with. Here's a here, character and here's everything about them. Here is everything about them. Right. Yeah. Um, 
So that was definitely uh, kind of a struggle to get into the meat of it. Yeah, I mean, I, I pretty much agree with all of that. As yeah, something I brought up earlier is that there's a lot of telling and not showing, and a lot of character change that happens kind of off the cuff. Like the character will be like, "By the way, I've had this underlying issue that's been going on for you know over a decade in my life, but because I met you, my love, everything's fine." You're thinking you're about like, Benton, right? Yeah, mostly about Benton, but the same thing happens with Lum mm-hmm. quite a bit. And a lot of the other characters, maybe to a lesser extent, a lot of the women to a lesser extent, meet these men from Earth. Like, let's be realistic, like, mostly alien women meet men from Earth. Yeah. And their issues are resolved through their love. That point at the end where Sigoy's like, yeah, I'm in love with Megan A, because he's cute. Yeah. (laughs) And it sort of helps resolve their major issues because they have a man to support them. That's an issue because the men aren't portrayed as being supportive. Like, if it had been portrayed another way... Perhaps, but I guess my main thought, you know, so aside from agreeing with those things, my main thought was um, the tone shifts very dramatically from the beginning. We kind of get this idea of Lum and Ataru in the dreams, and I feel like that was a thread that could have been brought through the entire story Mm -hmm. very well had not we been given the dramatic space opera very quickly after that. I feel like the author was trying for multiple ideas. And the first was like the dreams and the love in the dreams. But when they searched through the space opera, which was very well done, by the way, the political intrigue, very well done. They lost the thread of the romance a little bit and had to wrap the romance into it in a way that was very, I don't know, not romantic. It was very kind of two-dimensional and it was men solving the problems of women. I could see that as two different stories, the space opera and the whole ro- yeah. romance of people beyond the stars that haven't met each other. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. Like, it just didn't sure. tie in well, and it left with kind of like a anti-feminist kind of no, it, it could bad have been a taste. Decent Star Trek episode, yeah. yeah. That would be really interesting also, especially if like the dreams that they share, like they become more lucid over time and start like asking or like wondering about the source of like these other elements in their dreams, or even being able to talk to each other a little bit directly I sometimes. I really thought that was going to be a major plot point later. That was going to be this dreams were coming from some other off-source, different ah. uh, plot thread that would come in, like, like, like the Dream Lord or something like that. Well, yeah. let's talk about that, because the ending of this fanfic, um, it's very abrupt, it's very violent, and it's very cliffhangery. And we don't really need to explain the situation. But there's a second book called Still Dreaming. I remember reading it a long time ago. I remember not liking it. And I remember it does say why the dreams are happening. But it's basically... Um, what's that trope where, like, there's a bunch of actually more powerful secret society behind this? It's an Illuminati-type situation. Watchers or something? Yeah, um... Mm. The, I forgot what they're called in L5R. <laughs> it's like the super spy peoples. Yeah, it's like that kind of thing. It's like, oh, they were being drawn together for like the manipulative purposes of this like larger secret, you know, uh, behind yes. the scenes puppet master organization. The Q cont- continuum was uh, interfering or something? Well, they're yeah. not all powerful, though. <laughs> but the thing, uh, if I remember rightly, and to spoil the second book of this series, I feel like they eventually reveal Onsen Mark is a member of it. And that makes no sense because you see an Onsen Mark's head all the time in this fanfic, and he is just an Earth. Clueless, creature. yeah. Like, 
it's it's like in Spider-Man where like writers had Sandman reform and like you see his thought bubbles in stories and it's like, oh, this is what I'm thinking and I'm trying to be a good person. And the later writer <laughs> is like, oh no, actually, like I was faking it the whole time. And you're like, but I saw inside your thought bubbles and you were not faking it. It's yeah. like that, except it's the same author writing both. I've, I've been wanting to get that off my chest for like 20 years. Congratulations. I'm so glad that you did. And I feel you, though, because I feel the same inconsistencies in this story, as I mentioned. But I think it might just be a byproduct of the author, like, changing their own views as they go mm-hmm. through this many words. Yeah. They're developing new ideas. I think better editing might have brought about a more cohesive story. There is an editor, and they're credited. And i just like to point that out and praise that. Because oh, cool. I don't know how many people were having their fan fiction epics edited in 1992. Oh, yeah, and that's very impressive. For, like, internet publication. And I just want to say that's not to criticize... I didn't know the story of an editor, but I'm not going to criticize the editor because it's very hard to be an editor if someone else's work, probably if you're friends of them. Mm -hmm. It's probably the situation. Yeah, you probably wouldn't want to, like, be like, cut all of this. So (laughs) I'm not blaming the editor for that, just to put it Cut all this and give me pictures of (laughs) Spider-Man. And the Sandman, I hear he's a good guy now. <laughs> he's a great guy. People misunderstand him all the time. Doesn't wear a mask. I approve. <laughs> um, anyway, things to praise. I think I've gone to my main thing before, which is basically, the space opera really works for me. I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the shenanigans and the plotting by the characters. I found that all the space characters charming. Like, I wanted to read more about them, and I did. And <laughs> I thought the author does a really good balance of, on a surface level... The Ursaean Empire is very, very human. So you don't have to worry about, like, their cultural perspectives. They're just like an empire. Right. But then there's details about their culture in terms of, like, that just keep coming out when they're relevant. History, cultural practices, um, like, uh, like the cultural practices, like history, games, um, like, the, you know, like little the things. line of pictures of the old emperors, like, they start off as paintings, and then mm-hmm. some were black and white pictures, and they're color pictures. Then they turned into hollow projections and then more accurate hollow uh, projections. Towards the very end, you see the planet Urusei, and they've got, like, this big lattice around the outside. And, like, Lum's explaining all this. Like, oh, yeah, the surface was rendered mostly uninhabitable, and there was too much population. So, like, this emperor built this whole lattice on the outside. That's a cannon, like, there. It's, you know, for gathering (laughs) energy. Yeah, it would be pretty dangerous. If it ever scrapes the atmosphere, probably everybody's going to die. And, like, (laughs) you know, the the last, like, like, towards the end. paragraphs. And and it's, like, and on the surface, like, mostly it's kind of like a nature preserve now we've recreated all these species and we're extinct and like and it's just it doesn't go on too long but it's just like oh it gives you the impression that there's good world building when when the gaze of the story is on that world building the gate wait oh the gay like with yes. a z no there are okay. no gays in this world building <laughs> oh, everyone's perfectly heterosexual thank you for clarifying i was very confused for a second um <laughs> Yeah, no, that is actually a really good point. Like, this last bit of world building and even the intimation of our cliffhanger ending, which we haven't quite gotten to yet. Well, it's, it's um, just very, very cliffhanger. I, it's fine. Well, we'll, we'll touch on it. My okay. point is, is that there's an intimation there. There's a much broader world. There's so many intimations, and it seems like this is, again, where I think about the editing of the story. It's like towards the end, the author's like, oh, by the way, there's so much more world. Because they brought in so many politics and the idea of other worlds. And then, especially in the end, too, there's this whole thing with Benton where they go into deep, deep, like, explanation of her cultural rituals. Courtship practices mostly, yeah. Courtship practices. And it's really cool. Yeah. And it's, like, everything I'd want to see. I'm like, wow, this is great world building. 
And it's like, why is this just like the last like, you know, 20 pages where the author's digging into this. It's like it almost felt like it was pent up because before that, they were talking about political intrigue. Political intrigue. I'm talking to you fast because I'm excited (laughs) about world building. They were talking about political intrigue, and that was fun and interesting. But they always intimated that there were other planets and other ideas that were going on, and they finally get to world building. And that's why I think that the story was the author kind of like developing through ideas. It was like at first a romantic plot, and then next, oh yeah, there's like a space drama, and then next, oh, there's other worlds. <laughs> it was like a slow realization of everything they could do. I I would just like to see more cohesiveness and more of those worlds because the author does such a good job when they actually do those worlds it's so cool so that's my praise of that anyway do you want to talk about the exploding child yeah <laughs> what i guess we, uh, if you want to i think we can hand wave it but okay we'll hand wave one it exploding by. child if yeah. you want to know read it i guess <laughs> yeah read it and you'll find the exploding child uh you know 115,000 words in at least it's not a kid that's mixed with a dog, so. <laughs> All right. <laughs> We're really not going to talk about the exploding child. <laughs> fine, fine. <laughs> okay, at the very end, there's like three sentences where uh, uh, Lum is pregnant and married to Ataru, and they're going to have some sort of alien baby, and they actually finally talk about like how long the years are and how long the lifespans are. It was like something I wanted to know from the very beginning, but thank you for telling me. And then a <laughs> child comes up to them and is like, can I get your autograph? And then his head opens and he's a robot and he explodes and that's the end of the story. It's an assassination attempt on Lum and that's what brings yeah. off the second book out of two in this series. It's super rapid, just as rapid as I studied it. Uh, and by that's the way, the I, I liked that, that they had their own sci-fi uh, timekeeping Oh, yeah, and, but it's also very easy to basically get the gist of. Yeah. It's actually really annoying because they say that one-tenth is just a little over two Earth hours, which makes you think that their days are exactly the same length as ours because a one-tenth of an Earth day would be, like, a little over two Earth hours, right? And it's like... Well, one-tenth would be, like... Uh, but that's more like 20 and a bit hours, what? 2.4? Well, if it's 2.4, then yeah. Yeah. One-tenth of an Earth day would be a little over 2... It would be 2... Yeah, 2.4. None of us are star science people, so we... Yeah, well, whatever. <laughs> There's 24 hours in a day. But it's one of my are fa- there? Are you sure? Let's back up a moment here. My point is, is that if it's a little <laughs> over 2 Earth hours, their days are a very similar length to ours, which... I guess they'd have to be to form life similar to ours. I'm done. But, but they do have an endearing uh, sci-fi timekeeping schedule that they keep with in the entire story, and that's fine. Very fastidiously, yeah. Something Until... that, that I, I hadn't... Uh, the only other series that does it as well that I like as much is the the, the new Voltron series. Mm. That They have an entire time system that's different than Earth system because, you know, they're aliens. And, like, they have a tick, which is, like... Just a little bit, little bit longer than a second. <laughs> but yeah. they, they, there's just one shot of both of them having their clocks out and measuring the the, the the differences. That's fun for me. To wash this lengthy space opera epic out of our mouths next week, we are going to be reading a shorter fanfic based on a equally serious topic, which is the Smurfs. The Shrooms. Le, is it de, das, de, le. Le, le shroom, le shrooms? shrooms? You say shrooms? It's not like, I always said like shrooms or something. It's Belgian, I don't know. <laughs> what the hell are you talking about? 
the the Smurfs, which come from that uh, Belgian French comic. Yep. What? The yeah. Strumps is what yeah. I always said in my head. You mean Gargamel isn't an English name? <laughs> What's the name Gar- Garga? Yeah, no, Gargamel. You got it. Mark. Gargamel. Yeah. Oh, thanks. We'll see how many Gargamels we get. I assume we will get a large number of Smurfs. The title <laughs> of the fanfic is Brainy's Glasses, a 2005 fanfic right up against the edge of what I like to choose, but I couldn't not read a well-regarded Smurfs fanfic. That <laughs> that just had to happen. The author is Rowena uh, Zanre, maybe? Z-A-H-N-R-E-I. You can find a link there online at bit.ly slash rfrbrainy. As for this, this was episode 47 of Retro Fanfic Retrospective, Just a Dream, a Ursa Yatsura fanfiction by Lewis Burden from 1992, maybe before. It's pretty old. You can find a link to the website that hosts it, which I believe is the Tomobiki Cho website, at bit.ly slash rfrdream. The intro song to this podcast is The Weekly Fair off of the album Popey's Incredible Adventure by Komiku, the outro song is Run Against the Universe from the same album. You can find that album and other works by Komiku at loyaltyfreakmusic.com. You can find our website at retrofanficretrospective.podbean.com or bit.ly slash retrofanfic. If you have questions, comments, or thoughts about the episode, contact us on Twitter at Retrofanfic, Facebook at Retrofanfic, or send us an email at retrofanficretrospective at gmail.com. You can also leave comments or reviews on your podcast service. Apple Podcasts reviews is apparently a thing that people desire when they know what they're doing with social media. Hey, we got that one person that left a nice review on the Apple Podcast. I'm fairly sure they're a bot. A very nice bot. Yeah, well, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> we don't can, knock it. We can drive with bots. Yeah. Now, our one-year anniversary is coming up soon, and I'll probably be putting word out also on our various social media for people to send us any kinds of questions or comments, especially comments about old fanfics that we can like go back to and talk about, suggestions for fanfics that we might want to read in the future, uh, that our rules are, of course, before 2005, and hopefully we have some way of reading it. And the longer it is, the less likely we will ever get to it. <laughs> but all of those things, um, I'll be putting out, like I said, word. If you've got them, send us in. Send it in to us. And we'll try to discuss that thing on our one-year anniversary show, which is slated to be episode 51. Shouldn't it be 52? It, it is 51, though. Oh, okay. So I don't know. Shouldn't it be 52? <laughs> Who knows what, how math works? We must have missed a week or something. There was that uh, Ranma prequel episode. Yeah, well, we missed, we replaced that week. Okay, you know, calm, yeah, calm down and talk, talk to the listeners now. But it's episode 51. I just think that one wasn't It's episode 51. Yeah, it wasn't numbered, yeah. that's right. It's episode 51. Anyway. Yeah. I'm Amato. I'm Tori. I'm Dom. We're just three Earth life forms trying to be nice to each other and not be conquered by any space empires. That'd be nice. Until next time, take care. It was all just a dream. Was it though? Yes. No, actually, it wasn't. Oh, it was okay. revealed it wasn't in no. like the first yes. 20 paragraphs. Come back to me. <laughs>
By the way, mm-hmm. talking to the mic. By the way, I came up with the best fanfic crossover idea that no one has ever used. And I'm just going to lay it out here right now. You're talking pretty big, man. I don't know. Okay. Listen to this. I'm listening. Ah, Real Monsters. Mm-hmm. Ghostbusters crossover called Ah, Real Ghostbusters. Uh, I think that's a good name. <laughs> but it's also a great preface. No, because Ghostbusters bust ghosts, not monsters. Look, Ghostbusters crossover with anything, apparently, according to the fandom. But should it? <laughs> In your heart, do you know that's right? Also, <laughs> the Ghostbusters end up busting pretty much anything. Because it turns out pretty much anything supernatural is more or less a ghost in the Ghostbusters continuity. But in Ah Real Monsters, they're not. Because they're monsters. They're real. Are you, are you <laughs> yeah. sure that they're not ghosts? Yeah, they're real. They, they affect the environment. Can you still just give me all the points for the title? You have, you have full marks for the title. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But wait, ghosts are real too. They just are incorporeal most of the time. Yeah, but I don't think you put ghosts or real in the same arena as real monsters. Ah, real ghosts. <laughs> well, that's not as good a title, well, though. Yeah. I mean, ghosts and monsters just seem like, like, ghosts are not monsters, right? There's lots of things that are monsters, but ghosts are not, That, in my perspective, in my purview. Well, maybe if the person that came back as a ghost was, like, a really terrible person, then that, that could be Or maybe they were, like, an actual monster. Maybe it was, like, the ghosts of the wild things. See, if all real monsters died and they came back as ghosts... Well, there's your premise right there. I'm fine with that. Busted by the Ghostbusters. I'm fine with that. <laughs> that would be all real, real monsters, ghosts, busted. 